0: This morning, we're going to be going through Psalm 9. Uh, so if you'll open your Bibles to Psalm 9, I, I, I don't have slides up because I really love to help encourage you to look at the scripture with your own eyes. Um, I'm not going to jump to other passages. So you're not going to have to like flip through your Bible real fast to try to keep up with me. Uh, we'll just be in Psalm 9 this morning. While you're turning there, I'm going to give a little, a brief introduction to Psalm 9. Uh, Psalm 9 appears to be the first of the collection of Psalms, uh, 1 through 9. 9 is the first really focused praise song. Um, The other ones have teachings, they might be prayers or laments, but Psalm 9 is where um, we see like the very first real praise song. Um, the most popular understanding of the title that David gives to the song is that it was written with the defeat of a great enemy in mind, perhaps Goliath. Uh, it has to do with a son who died. Um, at minimum, uh, if you read through the Psalm and you understand the history, we know that it's, it's referring to the Philistines. Um, they were definitely in mind when David wrote this. It's also likely that David wrote this a, a good time after those victories. He's looking back on the victories and praising God for them. And that's just some historical background to kind of help us wrap our heads around David's heart in this Psalm. It's a new microphone, so. I'm uh, getting some great instruction from faithful brothers in the back. <laughs> so it's not rubbing on my beard the whole time I'm talking. I don't know. We'll, we'll just go with it and see how it goes. Um, <clears throat> the psalm uh, is really broken into three parts, uh, and then those three parts repeat. Uh, the, the first, probably two-thirds of the psalm is the first of the three parts, and then a much briefer repetition of those parts are repeated at the end of the psalm. It begins with praise and wholehearted praise. It recounts salvation and deliverance of God for his people, and then it tells of God's righteous judgment over the enemies of God and over all peoples, man in general. So with that, let's read Psalm 9, and then we'll dive in. Psalm 9, I will recount your wonderful deeds to the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name for ever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Higeon selah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever." Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. In each of my three points this morning, I'm going to separate the various verses that apply to the point. I wanted to bring that clarity so you weren't wondering why I was kind of skipping some verses in a particular point. It's not going to go in order from one to 20. With that, Uh, Here are the three main points this morning. First, we're going to start with wholehearted praise. The second point is the justice of God. And then the third point is those who know and those who forget. Starting with point one, wholehearted praise. Uh, Actually, before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Uh, We thank you for your word. We uh, thank you for. your your gift your revelation to us of who you are in your word we're thankful that we have a subjective uh uh sorry objective truth to stand upon uh, a, a truth to go to that um, can contradict our feelings our 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 sinful fleshly thoughts and we're thankful that you have one the greatest victory over the enemy of sin and death through your Son on behalf of those whom you have saved. As we consider the psalm this morning, Lord, stir our hearts to a right, proper understanding of it that we would well up in worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so point one wholehearted praise, uh, verses one and two. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The the song begins with thankfulness, and not simply thankfulness, but wholehearted thankfulness. The, The Hebrew term that David used meant with all that is in him, with everything from his heart, all of it, not one bit of his heart will be lacking, he will give praise to God. How often do we come on a Sunday morning out of uh, tradition, perhaps habit? Maybe even we just feel guilty if we don't show up. How seldom do we come prayerfully, expectantly, focused on praising God with our whole heart? I know this to be true for myself. I'm so often thinking of the things of the day before me, the, the worries of the world. I'm, I'm thinking of you, the, the church body that I'm to shepherd, and the d- different things that you're going through, the, the people I need to pray with, the people I want to love on. My worship is often very divided between an effort to focus on God and a struggle to clear my mind of all of the other things that are pleading for my attention, This week, my family and I got to go visit my wife's parents up in Northern California. Uh, Her dad had a friend who uh, happens to have a boat and lives out in Fort Bragg. And so her dad set up a little fishing trip for us to go deep sea fishing. Uh, If you know me, you know how much I love fishing. I was very excited for it. Uh, July 4th, get up super early. We head out to Fort Bragg and we get to this guy's house. And there's this very small, about 16 foot long, about five and a half foot wide boat. And I looked at my father-in-law and I said, we're going deep sea fishing, right? That's, that's the boat? Oh yeah, yeah, he does all the time, it's great. I'm sitting on the back of this boat, riding out into the ocean, wondering if I will be returning. And in that moment, I, I prayed, I sang, I, I quoted scriptures that I had memorized. I, I was wholeheartedly, Focused and praising the Lord. Um, it was awesomely terrifying. Um, if you've ever been uh, sized up by a great white shark, it, that's a very interesting experience. Uh, it circled our boat a couple times, staring at us. Uh, and on a small boat like that, I thought, man, he could he could do this if he wanted to. Like that would be, anyways. the <laughs> The point is, uh, until I thought. I could really lose my life here. I struggle to be wholeheartedly focused on God in my praise of him. And when I got back to land, I I wholeheartedly praised him for bringing me back safely, but I was also deeply convicted. Uh, I don't want it to have to be like that. Uh, I wanna be able to praise my Lord wholeheartedly anytime, all the time. And many of you understand when you get hard news, news that life may not be long, it does change the way you focus on your praise of the Lord. So it's my hope for you that you will learn to do that at any time and that it won't take something like that to draw your heart to a proper praise. You see, for David, this Wholehearted praise is not simply a a mustering up of a desire to sing to God. Rather, David tells us what he will praise God for. Recounting all of God's wondrous deeds is the basis for David's wholehearted praise. By recounting these deeds, David will stir his heart to complete praise of God. David will be glad and exult in God. Exult simply means to rejoice or show great joy, great delight in something. As David considers all the ways that God has rescued him from his enemies, all the ways that God has been a refuge to his people when they were oppressed, all the ways that God gave David victory over his enemies, the the righteousness that God rules the world with, the justice God has shown and will show, all of this is the cause, is the things that David is thinking of, that he will be glad in, and he will praise with great joy and delight his God wholeheartedly. And we could preach here all morning and not come to uh, an exhaustion of all the ways that God has been gracious to us. If you're struggling with your worship, I would encourage you to think back to all the ways God has blessed you in this life. Next Sunday, before you get to church, perhaps on your drive. Think about the ways God has delivered you from your enemies or times of difficulty. Think about the beautiful ways that God has been your refuge during trials. Think about the greatest way that God has blessed you through the death of his son in your place, Christian. Stir your heart in prayer and remembering what God has done. See if it's helpful as you come to worship God with the fellowship of the saints. I need to hear this as much as I believe you need to hear it. David sets such a beautiful example of ways to bring your focused worship of God. And I'm confident that if we were more intentional in our practice of this, doing it practically, that it would be a blessing to us in our worship. In verse 11, we see David encourage others to sing praises to the Lord, to tell others of the deeds that he has done. This is the repetition of praise that I spoke about in the introduction. Verse 11, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. David begins with recounting the wonderful works of God. And in his second refrain he, he, uh, of praise, he encourages others to sing, to praise, to tell of the works that God has done. This singing out of praise is founded on God's mercies and it grows into an encouragement for others to also join in the singing and the telling of the ways that God has been merciful to them. true worship, worship with all of your heart will include a desire not, not only to sing to God for what he has done, but a desire to tell others about your Lord and what he has done. Our worship happens constantly throughout our days. When we sing to God about his mercy, we are stirred to think about those things and our our praise wells up within us a desire to tell others of our merciful God. Might I encourage you to start by focusing on God's blessings to you this week, perhaps when you're in a funk, um, maybe a difficult day, and then see if that meditation doesn't spill over into a desire to share with others of the mercies of your God. In fact, our next point gives us an even greater reason to do this, point two, the justice of God. God's perfect justice is worthy to be praised. It convicts us when we consider it because we know we are flawed. We know we have sinned against the one who judges perfectly. It brings comfort to us because the same perfect judge has declared that his wrath has been answered in the death of his son for all whom he saves. It brings comfort to us to know that our enemies will not get away with anything. God will execute his perfect justice. Let's consider the verses of the psalm that draw our attention to the justice of God. First verse three and four. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. In verse 3 we see the failure of David's enemies. Think about this. David said, "When my enemies turn back," which means they're they're fleeing in defeat. Even though they flee, they do not escape God's wrath, his justice. Rather they stumble and perish before God or in the presence of God. See clearly David is giving the destruction of his enemies To the work of God and not himself. He's praising God for it. Why do they perish? Verse 4 says they perish because God maintains David's just cause. David's cause was just because he was obeying God's commands. All that God commands is just. David is essentially saying, You destroyed my enemies because I was obeying your command, and your command is just. It is right and true, it lacks no justice. For clarity's sake, if we honor God and obey his commands, we can trust that he will uphold our cause. However, Christians, it's important to remember this. If our actions are sinfully disobedient, then we cannot lean on God expecting him to uphold our cause. Our actions should be just. That's when we can lean on God, when we can expect him to do this. David acknowledges that it is God who reigns on the ultimate throne and that he gives righteous judgment. God's judgment never fails. It has no error in it. God is perfectly just in all of his judgments. Verse 5, you have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Again, David gives all credit to God. The you that each line begins with refers to God. God rebukes the nations. It's his judgment exercise. God makes the wicked perish. The, the sentence for the judgment handed down, God blots out their name forever and ever, the final result of the righteous judgment of God. I, I paused when I was doing my study and I, and I considered how many nations did God perhaps remove from the earth that are completely forgotten about now? I imagine there are enemies that God removed that aren't recorded in scripture, that no one knows about, remembers, don't even have history records of them. They're just gone, completely removed. And David's real point here is that the perfect justice of God will not leave one tiny fraction of wickedness and sin to go unanswered. God will execute perfect, complete justice. Verse six, the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. David sings of God's just judgment and God carrying out his justice and the removal of the wicked altogether. The very memory of them has perished. When we read the next verse, we can see the contrast of David's song between the enemies and the Lord. Verse seven and eight, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. You see, the wicked are removed, they're destroyed, they're forgotten, but God sits enthroned forever. God has established his throne for justice. This was God's purpose of establishing his throne that his justice would be carried out even when it seems like an eternity has passed and the wicked somehow still remain, we can know that God will judge the world with righteousness. He will judge his creation with uprightness and his throne will never end. This reminds us that the wicked will be dealt with and God has proven to deal with them justly. God carries out all his holy will If he established his throne with justice, he will bring forth that justice in his perfect timing. And remember the first half of this song, David is recounting the wonderful deeds of God. He's recounting many enemies whom God had removed. He's emphasizing their utterly complete removal, even the removal removal of their memory. David knows there is also a future day coming where God will do this completely and forever. And David is basing that knowledge. He's founding that knowledge in the reality that God already has removed some of his enemies. God's proven it to him. Verse 15 and 16. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Higeon selah part of God's justice is his causing the wicked to fall into their own traps. How many times has some wicked person or nation set traps and in their wickedness only to fall into the very traps that they set, thus destroying themselves? David pauses his song here. The words he uses, Higeon and Selah, are calling the singers to to meditate, to pause. You see, the reality of God's justice Should always remind us of our comfort that what is sinful will be made right. The wicked will not go on forever. And it should remind us that our own sin has a great cost. Before we get too focused on the demise of the wicked, we must remember we were once the wicked ourselves and we still war with our old selves and sin, oftentimes failing. It's worth the pause. It's worth the meditation to remind our souls of what God has done for us, even though we were wicked enemies of God. While we were yet enemies, God sent his son to die for his elect. Oh, would these truths keep us thankful, humble, and wholeheartedly worshiping our great God. Spurgeon says this about this particular passage. In considering this terrible picture of the Lord's overwhelming judgment of his enemies, we are called upon to ponder and meditate upon it with deep seriousness. Meditate and pause. Consider and tune your instrument. Consider yourselves and in dignity adjust your hearts to the seriousness which is so well becoming the subject. Let us in a humble spirit approach these verses and notice first that the character of God requires the punishment of sin. Jehovah is known by the judgment which he executes. His holiness and abhorrence of sin is thus displayed. A ruler who winked at evil would soon be known by all of his subjects to be evil himself. And he, on the other hand, who is severely just in judgment, reveals his own nature thereby. So long as our God is God, he will not, he cannot spare the guilty, except through that one glorious way in which he is just, and yet the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. We must notice, secondly, that the manner of God's judgment is singularly wise and indisputably just. He makes the wicked become their own executioners. The heathen have fallen into the pit they they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net that they have hidden. Like cunning hunters, they prepare a pitfall for the godly and fell into it themselves. The cruel snare was laboriously manufactured and it proved its efficacy by snaring its own maker. In verse 19 and 20, we see David look forward to the future justice of God and to call upon God to execute it. Verse 19 and 20, arise, O Lord, Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men, Selah. Again, David is calling for this future judgment based in the knowledge of God's past judgment, the knowledge of God's eternal throne and of God's righteous justice. I'll have more to say about verse 20 in our next point. So let's move to that now, point three those who know and those who forget. Uh, I want to separate the verses in the the Psalm, uh, beginning with those who know God and what David sings about, what God wants us to know about those who know him. Starting in verse one and two, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O most high. Those who know God will rejoice and praise him. They will be glad in him. They will praise him wholeheartedly. Those who know God know he is indeed most high. God is highest in their affections, their love, their devotion. God is supremely above all other things. Those who know God know he is superior to all other things. Those who know God will see clearly the wondrous deeds of God and it will be a cause for them to sing out to God, to praise him for all that he has done. Another quote from Spurgeon, all your marvelous works. Gratitude for one mercy refreshes the memory as to thousands of others. One silver link in the chain draws up a long series of tender remembrances. Here is eternal work for us, for there can be no end to the showing forth of all his deeds of love. If we consider our own sinfulness and nothingness, we must feel that every work of preservation, forgiveness, deliverance, sanctification, which the Lord has wrought in us for us, is a marvelous work. Verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. For those who know God, they know that he is our refuge. When we are oppressed, when we are in times of trouble, he is our stronghold. He is our firm foundation when the storm rages around us. To know you have safety in the hands of God most high, no matter your circumstances, must bring great comfort to your heart in times of trouble. Verse 10, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. This is the verse that kind of helped me title this point in my sermon. Those who know God put their trust in him because he will not forsake those who seek him. Now, if you know anything about scripture, you you know that scripture declares that no one seeks God. No one pursues him. All are unrighteous. No, not even one. Look it up in Romans, you'll find it. So when we see this, we we have to understand that it is indeed God who draws a person unto himself. And if he draws a man to faith and repentance, we can know he will certainly not forsake that man. He never fails at what he sets out to do. So if you are here seeking, may it be truly that God is drawing you. And if it is so, you will most certainly be saved by the one true God. Verse 12, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Those who know God know that he will avenge the sins committed against us, either through the blood of Christ, as God avenged our sin and through saving those sinners, or through his just judgment and the penalty of eternal death. Either way, what we know is that God will have justice. Those who know him know the justice for our sin was taken out of the blood of Jesus, which is the greatest cause for our praise. Those who know God can rest assured that unmet justice now will not escape the justice of God eternally. How can we have joy when the wicked go unpunished? We have it because we know that God will set those things right one day. God will bring justice in his perfect timing. Those who know God are blessed to not bear the weight of trying to carry out vengeance for themselves, for vengeance belongs to the Lord. Praise God. Verse 13. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death. Those who know God know that they can call upon his grace. He was faithful to pour it out in their salvation. He will be faithful again. We have access to the Father through the finished work of the Son. We call upon the Father in our time of need and we know that he will supply what we need to persevere. It is God who we plead to. It is God who lifts us up from the gates of death. Did you hear that, Christian? The Lord lifts us up from the gates of death. What a sweet reminder of the power and grace of God for us, brothers and sisters. What a a great reason to praise the God of our salvation. Verse 14, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice In your salvation, those who know God rejoice in his salvation. We will remember all that he has done and we will sing out praises to him. He rescues us so that we will remember and have great cause for praise how gracious our God is indeed. Verse 18 For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Those who know God may become poor and needy. You certainly not promised riches and excess. Anybody selling you that is a false teacher and needs to be removed. But consider what the passage says. They will not be forgotten and they will not lose all hope forever. There may be times where they forget the hope that they have in God. Christian, you may go through things in life where it gets that dark, but according to the word of God, the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. The Lord will restore your hope. God will restore us and we will praise him for it. Now let's turn the page to what the verses say about the forgetters of God. Consider the contrast between these two Groups of people. Keep in mind that God tells us clearly that all mankind knows him, but in their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth of him. They do that because they want to be their own God. They want to make their own decisions. They don't want to bow their knee to the God they know created everything. I thought of titling the point, those who know God and those who suppress the truth about what the, but that was just a little bit long, right? It just didn't seem like that would be the best way to do it. Psalm Uh, 9 verse 3, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. Those who have forgotten God are his enemies. They will, apart from faith and repentance, perish before the presence of God. Even if they attempt to flee, they will not make it. There is nowhere to run from the God who is everywhere, right? Verse five and six, you have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. Those who have chosen to suppress the truth they know about God and their unrighteousness will come to everlasting ruin. God has rebuked them and will continue to do so. The wicked will be so utterly wiped out at some point that they will be forgotten completely. This is a beautiful picture of what God does for the believer in regards to our sin through the work of his son. Your wickedness has been blotted out, Christian. Forgotten, God says, as far as the east is from the west. Praise God for that. Verse 15, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Higeon selah. Those who have forgotten God will often die in the very traps that they set for their own wicked purposes. We've seen this happen many times throughout history. So a great story in the uh, Old Testament uh, about a wicked man who wanted the nation that the Jews were enslaved to, to to kill this Jewish leader. Builds an entire thing to hang him, ends up getting hung on that very thing himself. We see this now in our culture. Wicked companies promote wicked things, they set a trap, and then they lose billions of dollars. They got caught in their own trap. God will destroy the wicked. They will be caught in their own traps or God will execute his perfect justice in destroying them. Verse 17, the wicked shall return to Sheol all the nations that forget God. God forgetters will eventually end in hell. They will not stop existing. Rather, they will suffer eternally for their rejection of God and for their sin. It's interesting that David says, all the nations that forget God will be brought to Sheol. Oh, church, consider this reality. Pray for our nation before it's too late. How many nations has God set up and removed already? I pray that ours would not be another footnote in the history of the world. But our nation has clearly seemingly forgotten God and is in deep need of his merciful revival if we hope to continue, if we hope to avoid destruction. Verse 19, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. And this is again where David turns uh, his focus to the future judgment, and he pleads with God to continue, as he knows God will, his justice against the men, the nations, who have forgotten, suppressed, and denied God. David again roots this reality in God's faithful justice toward the wicked in his past. Verse 20, put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. I said I would come back to this in my second point. Church, this truth should bring great fear to the God forgetter and great humble hope to the one who knows God. Whom have the God knowers to fear? We serve the creator, not the creation. This means when those who suppress God also come at us, we have nothing to fear. It may make our circumstances hard, but we serve the God of those mere men and we trust in him for everything. This should also remind us that we need not fear man in our daily life. In our conversations in life, we need to exercise wisdom and discernment, but not fear. We ourselves are mere men, but we trust in, love, and know the God who created men. And he is on his throne right now. He has set up his throne for justice. His throne will endure forever. We need not fear the things that come from God forgetters. At worst, they may take our lives. That's not something that we wish for, obviously. If, if you are, please come talk to me later. Let's pray about that. Uh, but it is also not an ultimate or eternal ending. Man cannot do anything in regards to our soul, but God can. Men, specifically this morning, you need to remember this truth so that you will be lion-hearted and lamb-like. For the God-forgetters, this reality should bring you to your knees in repentance. How long will you go on suppressing the truth that you know? God has declared you know it by his creation. God will bring justice and it will be swift. For those corrupt leaders, church, pray for them. Pray that God saves them because they will answer to the one true God one day. They will be without an excuse. Their wickedness will not be dismissed or accepted or overlooked. God will bring perfect justice and they will answer for their sin, even to a greater degree for the ability or the um, gift of them being over others. this is also why it's important for us who know God to tell others of the marvelous works of God, that this should humble us, Christian. We should preach the gospel, we should evangelize, we should pray for the lost, we should pray for our wicked and corrupt leaders. It may be that God would perhaps grant them repentance and faith, and maybe they would avoid the very penalty that we deserved for our sin, that God so graciously rescued us from. Oh, that God would remind the nations that they are not God, but merely men. When a person understands how sinful, weak, insignificant they are in comparison to God, when a person comes to the knowledge of their sin against the Holy One, it puts a righteous fear in their hearts. David pleads with God to do this. Put them in fear, O Lord, let the nations know they are but men. So I said I had three main points to go over in the psalm. The first point was wholehearted praise. The second point was the justice of God. And then the third point was the contrast between those who know and those who forget God. David's song of praise to God in Psalm 9 is a sweet reminder to us to praise God with our whole heart. It should remind us of God's justice, of his reign on the throne. It should humble us. It should remind us of our great salvation. It should also remind us that the justice we hope for will come to pass, either through the blood of Christ, which saved us, or the eternal wrath of God for the wicked God forgetters. When we consider the contrast of God's action towards those who know God versus those who have forgotten or suppressed the truth of God that they know, it should again humble us, Christian. It should cause us to want to sing of the awesome realities of God's deliverance in the gate of Zion and tell others of these wonderful works. We should, in our praise of God, be bold to share with all peoples what God has done to save us. We should pray for revival. We must remember that the wicked will get what you and I in Christ deserved apart from the grace of God. For we were at one time the wicked, we were the God forgetter, but for the grace of God, we would all be God forgetters. On this side of the cross, we must pray for and witness to those who suppress the truth. We must stand up for what is right according to God's word. We must be lion hearted in that. We must not be afraid of mere men for we serve God who is all powerful, who spoke everything into existence. Whom do we have to fear? And we must also be lamb-like, loving and gracious and patient, preaching the gospel that saved us. We must exercise wisdom and discernment in all of these things. Christian, are you struggling in your wholehearted praise of God? Then remind yourselves of all that he has done. Try praying on your drive next Sunday. I know I mentioned this earlier, but I wanted you to have something kind of practical to consider. If you've got a family in the car, share with each other. Well, what are some of the things that God has done? What are some of his wondrous works that he's done for you? Discuss it, pray. Come here with with that kind of focus. See if it doesn't help your praise, your worship. Plead with him to clear your mind so that you will not be distracted. Praise him with your whole heart for he is worthy. God's justice must keep us humble. If you're tempted to boast in what you have done, remember that that is what God forgetters do. You do not want to trade spots with them. God's justice was poured out on his son in our place, Christian. So be humble. Pray for those who have not been saved. Remember that those who are wicked will not receive, sorry, those who are wicked and who will not receive faith will also not escape God's righteous judgment. Remember that if this nation is removed by God's justice, he has not forgotten you, Christian. We may very well suffer for the sins of this nation, but we will not be removed from God in our faith. Finally, I pray that these truths shared in the the praise of David are comforting to those whom God has graciously saved. I, I hope the clarity of God's righteous judgment and wrath for the God forgetters will drive you this morning who are here and who have not turned to him in repentance and faith to the cross of Christ. It is the only place where you will find redemption. Remember what David said, verse 10, and those who know your name put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I pray for you this morning, if you are here and you have not repented of your sin and entrusted your life to Christ, I pray that the Lord would give you ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart that believes. If you think you are pursuing, searching, looking, I pray that God is genuinely at work because that is not something you will do on your own. God never fails. He will save all of his people. Not one drop of our Savior's blood will be shed in vain. Praise God for that. Christian, Lion-hearted and lamb-like. Remember the perfect justice of God. Remember what that meant for you in his mercy and grace to give you salvation. And be bold. Push back the darkness. Tell the world of the wonderful deeds of God. Be lion-hearted. Be gracious. Be patient. Pray for those who persecute you. Be lamb-like. Love your enemy as you were loved while you were God's enemy. leave here as God-knowers and have the blessed benefits of salvation, the uttermost being God himself. Let's praise the Lord. We'll start with prayer. Father, we are so blessed. We are so blessed by your mercy and grace in the giving of your son that Jesus would take our place that he would drink the cup of wrath that we deserved. Oh, let our hearts never become proud within ourselves as if we had anything to do with our salvation. May your spirit stir in us, us who know you, know you only by your grace. May we be lion hearted and lamb like. May we push back darkness. May we preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. May we pray for revival. Lord, revive this nation or destroy it so that you will be glorified, so that wickedness will be cut off. We love you, Lord. We are so thankful for all that you've done. God, I pray that you are saving souls this morning. I pray that. There are God-forgetters here who are being convicted by your Spirit that you are granting repentance and faith that we may add to your family, all because of you, all for your glory, for our good. It is because of Christ that we can pray, amen.